Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. An Erio's original. Calling all Alarmy members. For our upcoming holiday episode, we want to hear about your biggest holiday disasters, comedy of errors, or family feuds. Call the Erio's hotline at 626 604 6262 and leave us a one minute voicemail with your biggest holiday drama. The team here at The Alarmist will then unpack your disaster and figure out who we think is to blame. No person or concept is safe from being sent to The Alarmist jail. It's your chance to settle your family feuds once and for all. Dial the Erios hotline at 626-604-6262 and remember to keep your voicemail snappy at one minute. Phone lines close on November 20th at 1159 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today, we're discussing the bombing of Pan Am Flight 103. Here's what you need to know. On the evening of December 21st, 1988, just four days before Christmas, Pan Am Flight 103 took off from Heathrow Airport in London, bound for New York City. Only 38 minutes later, the plane exploded over Lockerbie, Scotland, killing every passenger and crew member on board. News of the horrific bombing reverberated around the world until a three-year investigation led to the arrest of two Libyan nationals in 1991. When oil was discovered in what was known as the United Kingdom of Libya in 1959, the once poor country became the world's fourth largest oil producer. 
While offering a boost to the Libyan economy, it also led to rampant corruption and favoritism from King Idris's monarchy. In 1963, he abolished the country's federal system and established a monarchy. By 1969, his regime had lost support from most of the country, and he was deposed in a coup d'etat by Colonel Muammar Gaddafi. While the United States had friendly relations with King Idris in order to access the country's oil, when Gaddafi nationalized Libya's oil industry and removed American oil companies, Libya's relations with the U.S. soured. Gaddafi used the country's oil wealth and political power to support socialist and anti-imperialist organizations such as the Palestinian government, the IRA, and the Black Panthers. The United States withdrew their ambassador to Libya in 1972, and when a mob attacked the embassy in 1979 over allegations that the U.S. was involved in the seizure of a holy Islamic site in Saudi Arabia, the United States government designated Libya a state sponsor of terrorism. By 1981, the United States outlawed travel to Libya, and in 1986, a series of economic sanctions were established against Libya, including a complete ban on direct imports and exports. Following the Pan Am 103 bombing, a three-year joint investigation by Dumfries and Galloway Constabulary and the U.S. FBI led to the indictment of two Libyan intelligence agents, Abdel Basset Ali al-Magrahi and Layman Khalifa Fima. But Libya refused to surrender the suspects to either the United States or Scotland for trial. It wasn't until 1999, after severely increasing sanctions and diplomatic pressure on Libya, that Gaddafi agreed to cooperate and hand over the accused men. The Libyan intelligence agents stood trial in the Netherlands under Scottish law. FEMA was acquitted, but Al-Magrahi was convicted in 2001 and sentenced to life in prison. The two were believed to be responsible for getting the suitcase carrying the bomb onto Flight 103. The bomb was built into a Toshiba cassette recorder and tucked inside a brown Samsonite suitcase with clothes that Al-Magrahi had purchased. Despite al-Magrahi's sentencing and Gaddafi's formal acceptance of responsibility for the bombing, the case against Libya has never been universally accepted. Nearly 30 years since the attack, some victims' family members, journalists, and investigators dispute the version of events described in the trial. Over the years, alternative theories have developed and spread, suggesting that justice has yet to be served for the deadliest terrorist attack in the history of the United Kingdom. Fun facts, aka Death Stats. Pan Am Flight 103 exploded 31,000 feet over Lockerbie, Scotland, 38 minutes after takeoff from London. The blast broke the plane into thousands of pieces that landed in an area covering roughly 850 square miles. All 259 people on board the aircraft were killed, along with 11 residents of Lockerbie, Scotland, who died when pieces of the plane plunged into homes in the small farming community. The passengers aboard the plane came from 21 countries, and the majority of the victims were Americans. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is our very own special, Amanda Lund. Oh, alarmy. It is so good to be back. It Producer just feels right. Amanda, here she is, everyone. Oh, man. I can't believe it. It's been so, like, it's been too long. It's been. Your voice is like a familiar comfort from our youth. Mm-hmm. Our youth. <laughs> Mommy's home. <laughs> Mommy went on a long vacation, but she's she's back now. The creepy Yay. old lady who lives next door is back. <laughs> That's sort of... Yeah, maybe I'm more like a great aunt. Yeah. yeah. She's a creep with a heart. Well, she's wacky what if too. You... She can be fun. <laughs> what if you found out that I've secretly been on every single Zoom recording, but just oh. muted? And oh, wow. um and having have my video off, but I've been watching the whole time. 
Or what if you found out that Clayton yes. and I were one person? <laughs> you kind How of are we doing you this can right look now? alike. I mean, <laughs> you split every now and uh, every Halloween, you guys split yeah. into two. Right. If we were at a family reunion together, people would buy it. They wouldn't question it. Yeah, I, think I don't. I don't you know. Could if, be siblings. Yeah, I don't know if that's allowed in um in the pot in podcasting. I we'd have to check with Joe Rogan about that if that's legal. Don't say it two more times. He'll appear. <laughs> that's true. First, before we dive in um to this very very sad tragedy. Um, I want to ask you, Amanda, what is something that's recently alarming you? What's something that's keeping you up at night? I have an answer for this. Um, you know, I don't know when this episode's coming out, but when, when we're recording it, it's around Halloween time. Yes. It'll be coming okay, out so maybe the- before Thanksgiving. Okay. Well, great. It's still in the air. Mm -hmm. Fall is still in the air. But around this time of year, something that's always sort of in the front of my mind is home invasions. Hmm. Yes. Why why around this time of year? Because it's my favorite genre of movie, of scary movie. And so I'm just sort of consuming constant tales of home invasions. (laughs) Now, and it's just like, I, I'm just, I'm just scared. Like last night I woke up in the middle of the night. Like I just see shadows. Oh. Like I'm, mm. I'm convinced that something is in the house. Like, and, and the, the, the sick part is, is like, it's kind of exciting. Oh yeah. no, that's not good. <laughs> that's why they say people go to horror movies. They love them because it's like when you feel the most alive and present in the moment because of like the fear element. Right. Mm. Yeah, well, exactly. I, mean, I, I get it. I do love it, but in a horror movie, I can tell myself this is fake. In the middle of the right. night when I wake up, like you, Amanda, if I feel like I'm seeing a shadow, that's not good. That In your mind, what, what is it do do? supernatural or is it like a real person? Um, It's interesting because I'm actually the supernatural thing isn't that scary to me. I am more scared of like there is a pervert. Oh, who's right. got yeah. who's crawled in through an open window or something? The we have uh, what I always feel secure about is that we have dogs that make a lot of noise when they hear somebody. But you <laughs> have a you except have a, our dog has recently gone deaf. So mm, one of them, yes, <laughs> stressful. Oh That's no! Like Don't alarm. say that on the podcast. <laughs> now they know. All the creeps know. <laughs> it's like it's it's almost like we're we're begging for that creep to come in. <laughs> but you now have a a little baby, and you also have a cat. So do you feel like they will start to make noise or cry when they hear an intruder uh, breaking a window or something like that? I, I wish I could say yes, but the sad truth is I feel like Margot would be like actually opening the door for the person. Right. Mm-hmm. Being well, like, come them. on in. Can you get me fridge access? Right. Like all you'd have to do is throw her a little handful of temptations and she'd be like, yeah, go go get them. Mm, they don't Cats give me treats tricky. anymore. <laughs> yeah. Margot wants Margot wants our whole family dead. <laughs> Amanda, do you have a plan of action? If, if this is a good question, like, do I have a bedside weapon? No, I don't. Oh. And I need to, I need to get something. Okay. Mm. I, I, I do. I've been trying to stay. Um, I've been trying to stay hydrated. So I do have a very large water bottle, <laughs> heavy yeah. water bottle. Those can be. And yeah. Well, Chris is laughing, but honestly, that's enough. If I really used a lot of momentum yeah. to, if I whacked them in the right spot, I mean, it could really take someone out. Or if they were there to perform in a wet t-shirt contest, it would also be helpful <laughs> right. to have that water. <laughs> Might I, I su- feel like I, I need a hose. <laughs> yeah. A water gun, a super soaker. Might I suggest take a uh, stock of your furniture in the room? Cause uh, you can always decide which to push in front of a door. If you hear them coming for your room. So smart, Clay. Huh. I need that's to do I, that. I've done. Wait, what? Clayton has a room big enough I to have, have multiple pieces of furniture in it. That's what I just no. heard. Oh, you just slide your chaise lounge in front of your door? No, I just keep all my furniture in my room at night in case I need it. I move it down to my bedroom. In case oh, I see. So, okay, that makes Getting sense. Getting ready for bed takes forever. <laughs> I'm trying to find a good transition here, and it's not working. You um, got it. You because got it. we are about to really talk about one of the saddest and scariest 
Mm. Um, disasters uh, in um, you know our modern history. And and I can't help. Oh well, you know what this is. This is one of those tragedies that, or or just scary things that you envision and you hope you're never uh, a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Like like Amanda's like fall seasonal home invasion. This is like something you think about only when you're going to the airport or when yeah. you have to fly. It's right? true. And it's it, one of those things that are unimaginable because you there's no way you can know what a plane crash or a, a plane mm-hmm. explosion would be like mm-hmm. and unless you're in one and the odds are you're not surviving one so right. it's really horrific um, and i want to go through kind of a list of uh things how it all happened right and this is kind of long so we'll take a few breaks to discuss this is from an article from The Guardian that's uh, titled, What Really Happened on Flight 103? London Heathrow Airport, Terminal 3, 21st of December, 1988. It's 5 p.m. on the afternoon. 243 people gather in the lounges at the south end of the terminal. They're booked to go on a Pan American Airways Boeing 747 to JFK Airport in New York. Many had checked in. Uh, in London, while others had come on 10-feeder flights to Heathrow. 49 passengers had arrived on a Boeing 727 from Frankfurt. Among those waiting to board the flight were 35 U.S. students who had spent 6 to 12 months in Europe on an exchange program from Syracuse University. There were also 12 children under the age of 10. The youngest was 9 weeks old, and the oldest was a 79-year-old woman from Budapest. Passengers came from 21 countries, and at this point, they only had 122 minutes to live. Very dramatic um, Mm. writing, but also kind of really captures uh, what's about, you know, you don't think about time in that way where it's like, okay, now I only have an hour to live. If you did, what would you do with that time, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. But I also just hearing all the stats about the different types of people who are on the flight, I think that's one of the reasons why plane crashes, these big commercial plane crashes are so um, like people get obsessed with them and they're so sort of like, we can't believe it is because there's something so random about it. Like mm-hmm. all these different people, when you're traveling from all walks of life, um, who would never normally be together, have this like horrible fate that mm-hmm. they end up sharing. And there's something about it just so especially tragic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the fact that it's the you know right before the holidays, people people are going to back home, right? They're going to visit right. family. They're reuniting. You know, I heard a story about how the uh, it was the co-pilot who wasn't supposed to be the one on the flight, mm. but uh, they he wanted to get home faster for the holiday, and so he felt lucky that he had been able to switch and get on this flight. So you think about all those things, and then you think about the people who might have missed the flight, right? Right. The guy who, there was a guy at, at a bar who just, you know, had one too many drinks and missed the flight mm. and was upset that he missed the flight. Mm-hmm. I also heard mm. somewhere that Kim Cattrall was supposed to be on this flight. Um, no way. Who, yeah. Did Kim Cattrall say that? <laughs> No, I did hear that. Maybe Chris can confirm. She wanted to shop. She was on a shopping trip in London, and I guess she wanted to shop more or something. That's what I heard on a podcast that I listened to about this. Um, So, you know, thinking about those sliding doors uh, moments Mm -hmm. that that go into this. Okay, let's, let's go on. The Maid of the Seas had been put into service on the 12th of February in 1970 and had since made 16,497 flights and logged in 72,646 flight hours. But in spite of the age of the machine, the pilots had no reason to worry as they made their final checks. The Maid of the Seas had arrived in Heathrow at 12.10 from San Francisco and had parked by Terminal 3. It was there, uh, here that Jim McQuarrie, would take over from another pilot. The 55-year-old captain was an experienced pilot and a veteran veteran of 10,910 flight hours, including 4,100 on a B747. 
So this is, these are experienced pilots. These are veterans. And what we'll, what we'll really discuss going further is, is the fact that it, all of that experience would not have helped really right. this situation. This, there was no, nothing to be done. No op- yeah. Yeah. Just uh, going back, Kim Cattrall did, was supposed to be on that flight. However, her mother requested a specific teapot for Christmas. Huh. So she changed the wow. flight in order to buy the teapot. What a wow. wow! What a Picky good daughter. Moms. Thank you, mom. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, mom. Thank you, daughter. Um, okay, so it's six twenty-five p.m. Pan Am Flight One Hundred Three gets permission from the control tower to take off. At seven o two p.m. and fifty seconds, while the air traffic controller was giving his instructions by radio, the image of the transponder suddenly disappeared from his screen. When radar caught up. With the position of the plane, a few seconds later, the surprised and then dumbfounded controller in Shanwick saw many images on his screen, a Boeing jet that was breaking apart. There were no witnesses nor direct proof of what happened at this point, but there are many clues which allowed uh, the events to be reconstructed later. First, an explosion shook the aircraft. Before anyone realized what was happening, the electricity went out and it became completely dark. Several fractions of a second later, large sections of the forward fuselage were ripped away. The nose of the plane then broke off and fell towards the right into the depths. The people on board, uh, the beheaded 747, were hit with a shockwave of cold noise and dark. Air escaped from the vessel and ice crystallized on the windows. From one second to the next, conditions had suddenly become similar to those on the peak of Mount Everest. The air was extremely thin and cold. The passengers immediately lost consciousness, while the main body of the Maid of the Seas tipped forward, broke into several pieces, and began to plummet. Passengers in the first few rows of seats were catapulted out of the disintegrating plane into the blackness of the night, while several were sucked into the engines that were still operating at full throttle. Oof. Most of the passengers, however, remained in two large sections of the plane that in a few seconds fell far enough to reach warmer levels of air that were richer in oxygen. At this point, perhaps as many as 60% of the people on board were still alive, but no one knows if anyone ever regained consciousness. The drop continues. So it's horrific. Mm -hmm. Um, It's unclear if they did regain consciousness. And like you said before, it's impossible to imagine, really, right? I mean, they can tell you based on all these scientific facts what it what would happen but but the the physical experience of that is just impossible i would it's like unimaginable and and when you say it out loud like that like with the sequence like Mm -hmm. the way you read it it is just so horrendous it makes me sick to my stomach the only thing that i can think is like it happened probably so yes. fast that that it's like you just have to hope that the majority of the people were like never fully aware of what yeah. was happening. Although it sounds like that might not have been yeah. the case, but I I just have to pretend it was because it's like too terrible and justice must be served. God damn it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. There was an account where they found a body of, uh, I believe it was a woman who was on the ground and she had a fistful of dirt, which meant that it's possible <gasps> that she was alive for a second or a few seconds or maybe some time on the ground, on the ground in Jeez. order to, Oh my God. Yeah. So, unclear um and it it was you're right it was fast it was i believe it was 46 seconds something like that between 30 and 40 seconds but if you think about it 30 and 40 seconds is still a really long time Mm. when you're counting the seconds yeah no think about when you're listening to a podcast and a 30 second ad comes on takes forever yeah but that's true. true 
You, You're like, oh my God, get me through I mean, this I know thing. the Alarmy does not fast forward our commercials, no, uh, our ads, but... Uh, Time is relative. Okay, let's continue because we have so many things to put up on the board and we're already running out of time. Mm-hmm. Lockerbie, 7.03 p.m., 26 seconds. With the motors still going at full speed, the Boeing crashed onto the ground at half the speed of sound. The drop had taken 36 seconds. Okay, 36 was the number. Even through the wreckage, uh, though the wreckage weighed many tons, it still did not fall straight down because there was a strong wind from the west. It, dris- it drifted eastward to fall directly onto the small town of Lockerbie in Scotland's most southwestern country- county. The wings and the middle part of the fuselage, uh, would still, which still held about 90 tons of kerosene in the main tank, struck Sherwood Crescent, a street of tidy single-family homes. The earthquake monitoring, uh, monitoring center uh, said it had it, it put 1.6 on the Richter scale. The houses between numbers 13 and 16 on Sherwood Crescent were completely obliterated, while most of the others were irreparably damaged. 11 people were decimated. Nothing remained later to identify them, aside from the artificial knee of an 81-year-old Mary Lancaster, the oldest of the victims. Jeez, the word decimated. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, it's a horrible. I mean, talk about not knowing what is going to hit you. It's like the right. people asleep in their beds. Mm-hmm. It's just unreal. Oh. So let's start off by putting the only convicted suspect up on the board. And that was... Abdil Basset Ali Mohammed Al-Magrahi. And this is according to the Washington Post. FBI agents and Scottish police combed 845 square miles of territory inch by inch, month after month, for clues from the widely scattered debris. Two fragments, each smaller than a fingernail, and tiny bits of clothing proved crucial in solving the case. One fragment driven by the blast into the large cargo container, was found to be part of the Toshiba circuit board. Another fragment was found in a piece of shirt that had been in the suitcase containing the bomb. Scientists determined that it was part of the bomb's timing device and traced it to its manufacturer, a Swiss company that had sold it to a high-level Libyan intelligence official. Acting Attorney General William Barr said, On December 7, 1988, Al-Magrahi bought clothing and an umbrella at Mary's house, a shop near his hotel in Malta, and put them in the suitcase to, quote, provide the appearance of a normal travel bag. Investigators said that sometime that month, the two suspects illegally obtained some Air Malta luggage tags. On December 21, they allegedly used them to route the bomb-rigged suitcase as an unaccompanied luggage aboard an Air Malta flight to Frankfurt. There, the suitcase was transferred to Pan Am Flight 103A, and on arrival in London, it was put aboard Pan Am Flight 103. So the suitcase had no passenger that was attached to it. Right. Well, we got we to gotta, uh, put Air, Air Malta on the board, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, for the, uh, yeah. Because, well, that is the point at which the bag gets through the security, right? That's where it gets transferred uh, onto a plane, right? In Malta. Right. So let's put Malta, maybe Malta Airport Security. Yeah. I also, th- I also think that we can put Heathrow uh, Airport Security yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they they were lax with their checking of bags because it came through a bigger port. Uh, it came through Frankfurt, right? So they're like, oh, if it got through Frankfurt, it's like cool to go through us, right? Yes. And they're, they're, well, I don't know if that was the case, but the suitcases are examined uh, with x-rays, but that's only once they're checked into the airport. They're not uh, putting them through x-rays once they're being transferred from another plane, but mm. they're also not checking the um on on uh, the suitcases being attached to the the passenger manifesto. So that and this was is also nineteen eighty eight too. Like security was pretty lax back then. Yes. Yeah. Nowadays, that that that's something that changed at, because of this uh, disaster. That you. I, th- I believe they have to check all of the baggage and they compare it to the manifesto. 
Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So there's no like little bonus bags on your flight. Okay. So is it the, who neglected to x-ray this bag? It was Malta. Uh, it originally got through Malta, but the reason it got through Malta was because, uh, the suspects here worked in the security where worked Mm. in the airport security. So they were insiders. So it wasn't a passenger who put it on a plane. They had infiltrated. Okay. But had Heathrow, I don't know, done, you know, their own security, had their own security measures in place, perhaps they could have found the bomb. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't protocol at the time. But, you know, put them on the board, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't. But I will say that I I forget um, where I heard this. But Pan Am at the time was charging $5 for a security like surcharge. So they were, they had just started doing this recently where they were like, we're going to add this extra security. And so therefore we're going to charge you a $5 security fee. But then they had just stopped doing it at Heathrow. They weren't, Hmm. they were, they, it was like a fake security fee. Hmm. So, okay. So, but they were, so I, I didn't realize that these guys were posing or they had, they actually worked as security. Yes. Why don't we put up Iranian Palestinian conspiracy? Question mark. Okay. This is according to PBS. Though investigators say they never found hard evidence of the Iranian-Palestinian conspiracy, last year, an Iranian defector to Germany gave the theory new life when he claimed the attack was ordered by Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Khomeini, to copy exactly what happened to the Iranian Airbus that had been shot down by the U.S. warship. This theory has proved durable and for many convincing. In its 800-page review of the Lockerbie evidence, the Scottish Scottish Criminal Cases Review Commission said the evidence found in the Frankfurt raid shortly before the Lockerbie bombing led it to determine that there was some evidence that could support an interference of involvement by Palestinian terrorists. Dr. Jim Swire, whose daughter was on the one of the 270 victims of Flight 103, is among those who believe Al-Megrahi was innocent. Swire has repeatedly told reporters that he believes Iran was primarily responsible for the attack and that the U.S. did not pursue this angle because officials wanted to blame somebody, anybody, rather than Iran. Investigating the Iran link, says Swire, would have caused diplomatic problems at a time when Americans were negotiating over hostages in Lebanon. Mm. It seems to me that by far the most likely explanation for the blaming of Libya was to secure the release of Terry Waite and other hostages from Beirut, Swire told The Telegraph in 2013. Well, what the heck? It's like if our, like the governments aren't like actually seeking the truth about this stuff. It's like mm-hmm. all just politics and it's so mm-hmm. frustrating. So what, how did they project the motives of these? They were like Libyan secret service agents. Is well, that what they said they were that had done this? And, and why? What were we told that their well, motive was? There had been sanctions that had been put in uh, on Libya. Okay, so payback. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right in that it feels like uh, it's like the theater of blame, right? We feel like we need to blame someone because this terrible thing has happened. But we don't actually want to blame the the persons or the individuals or the uh, 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 political figures. A government doesn't want to take responsibility for an action they made that might cause some kind of retaliation because then, you know, you have a whole population of people who are up in arms about, you know, are we going to be shot down the next time we get on the plane because of some diplomatic choices that our country, that our leaders made, you know, like that's a scary place to be in. And also if, if, you know, this is a time of conflict between Iran and the United States. And it's Mm -hmm. like, if they're going to tell, are they going to make things worse by putting the blame on uh, them and is that going to mess with whatever um, with the negotiation of, of these hostages that they're trying to get back 
So, and so these alternate theories, are they like, how alternate are they? This one is not very alternate. It's, okay, I, so I, this is like likely. It's mm-hmm. like, would you say likely? There's no, uh, uh, it's hard because, you know, you're dealing with like confidential uh, <laughs> paperwork, FBI, you know. The, mm. And did you flash your alarmist badge to get access to these things? Because we should, <laughs> I, I think you should sure. have a high security clearance at this point. For the you love you of set God. that up for me, right, Amanda? I'm tr- I'm working on it. <laughs> That's what I love to do. That's why, why she's, she's been gone for yes. a year. <laughs> Trying to get me clearance. Yep. <laughs> um, so this one, yeah. Just to on. circle back to the Malta at Malta flight, mm-hmm. the the two guys, uh, McGrahi and FEMA, uh, they supposedly put the bomb onto the Air Malta flight. However. Malta and their Minister of Home Affairs and their, uh, you know, their representatives claim their police commissioner. They all claim that all the bags that were on that flight were accounted for mm. by passengers and taken off. So, and the, mm. the case sort of to pin it back to the original guys who put it on the original flight sort of dissipated because of lack of evidence. Mm. Hmm. Okay, interesting, but. Again, so th- this this is one of the theories that ha- is the most plausible. So we'll spend that. That's why I wanted to spend a little time on it. Um, but again, there's no real evidence. Sure. Let's talk about and let's put up on the board Gaddafi's uh, government. Now, this is from American Bombing of Libya, an international legal analysis by Gregory Francis in in Tatcha. Prior to 1969, Libya was an exceedingly poor country, which did not play an active role in foreign affairs. In 1969, the discovery of oil and Colonel Gaddafi's seizure of power by military coup drastically changed that situation. Colonel Colonel Gaddafi brought with him a socialistic vision of Arab unity and used revenues generated from new oil production to increase Libya's economic development, to build an army and to support political groups around the world. History.com said during the 1970s and 80s, Gaddafi's government financed a wide variety of Muslim and anti-imperial groups worldwide, from Palestinian groups and Philippine Muslim groups to the IRA and the Black Panthers. In response, the U.S. imposed sanctions against Libya and relations between the two nations steadily deteriorated. In 1981, Libya fired at a U.S. aircraft that passed into the Gulf of Sidra, which Gaddafi had claimed in 1973 as Libyan territorial waters. So the conflict stems from Hmm. the 1970s. And the plot thickens. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this yeah, is it sounds those... like they have a set of precedent of shooting at aircrafts. Right. So and this is one of those things where it's like, you know, we've got to, if we're going to live in like a world of, of war, you have to trust that like people are going to follow the rules where you don't just shoot or target like civilian aircrafts or civilians on land. Like those are things that have to be followed. Otherwise, I mean, it's just total chaos. Like you can't live like right. that. Well, Speaking to this, this is uh, related, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and and put this up on the board. Let's put United States terrorism on Libya up on the board. Mm. And this is, again, according to American Bobbing of Libya, an international legal analysis by Gregory Francis in in Tatcha. The United States initiated aerial bombings of targets inside the borders of the Libyan Arab Jamahiraya, which took place on April 15, 1986, and was met with substantial and immediate criticism by the world community. The positive reaction from the U.S., Congress, and the American public was not shared by much of the world. In the early hours of April 15, 1986, U.S. Air Force and naval aircrafts simultaneously bombed targets within the borders of the Libyan Arab Jamahiraya. According to the Libyan official... 37 people were killed and another 93 were injured, while Libyan leader Colonel uh, Muammar al-Qaddafi escaped the bombing unharmed. His stepdaughter was killed and two of his sons were wounded in the bombing of his military headquarters, which also served as his personal residence. Mm. The Pentagon confirmed that U.S. planes inadvertently hit civilian areas. So this is what you were talking about, Clayton. Mm -hmm. So it goes... 
both ways. Yeah, it's like that eye for an eye, tit for tat kind of like this is a tricky. Once you get into this territory, like this is dangerous. Yeah, scary stuff. Really scary. Finally, I think that we should put a third suspect that uh, came out, and this is Abu Agila Mohammed Masood. In December of 2020, the U.S. unsealed charges against a new suspect in 19, in the 1988 Lockerbie bombing. This is according to the New York Times. Abu Agila Mohammed Masood was born in Tunisia in 1951 and at some point moved to Tripoli, Libya and became a citizen. He worked for the Libyan Intelligence Service from 1973 to 2011, building bombs and rose to the ranks of Colonel. After Colonel al-Qaddafi's fall in 2011, Mr. Masood was arrested and imprisoned. Mr. Masood said in his confession that he went to Malta with the suitcase that contained the bomb and later set the timer for it to blow up exactly 11 hours later. According to the confession, Mr. Masood worked with Mr. Al-Magrahi and Mr. Fima to execute the plot. He explained that he hid the detonator and timer in a technical way that would make it difficult to be discovered by placing it close to the metallic parts of the suitcase. Mr. Masaud said that he uh, used approximately 1.5 kilograms of plastic Semtex, and he added that plastic explosives do not show up on the airport baggage scanner. So we, we have a confession. We have a confession. Years later. Yeah. Do we believe him? This is the question. And so he was never charged. And this information just came out in 2020, which is kind of insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, uh, evidence is still coming out. Like tips, um, new clues are still unfolding. And who knows, once it, we post this podcast, it could break the whole thing wide open. <laughs> you think it's going to be like a serial situation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the show now. <laughs> Um, so (sighs) it's just such a complicated, uh, series of events Yeah, and it's so hard to know who to trust. Well, it's so, yeah, like you said, it's just really convoluted because it's not just as simple as like something happened on the airplane. There's not a malfunction. There's like, there are politics and and governance involved and like retaliation and like decades of, you know, whatever you're placing, what are they called? The, um, I can't remember the word when you sanctions, sanctions on like people, there's a lot of animosities and like, then you have these bad actors who are like, well, I'm going to take this into my own hands on behalf of my country or my people or whatever. And like get revenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Oh, sorry, Chris. What were you going to say? No, I wasn't going to say, I was just sort of reading this uh, trial appeals and release section in the Wikipedia. And it says that the trial in 2000, uh, Al Magrahi uh, was sentenced to life. Um, in yes. Prison. And he actually was uh, released in, I believe, 2009 because they said he had only two to three months to live. He had um, prostate cancer, so uh, terminal prostate cancer. He was returned to Libya, and then he ended up living about three years after that. Hmm. Wow. Which was not not why um, the Scottish uh, uh, government had let him go you know they thought he was about to die and mm. and he ended up living three years and when he returned to libya i believe he was given a, a hero's welcome oh boy Jesus, yeah wow so the whole time they're maintaining that like libya had nothing to do with this well in or two, are they taking ownership of it they right. took ownership of it in 2003 uh, al-qadhafi uh, took ownership he he said that uh, Libya was responsible. He he said he didn't directly order it, right? But they did end up paying. Uh, I believe it was something like three hundred million dollars to the victims, or hmm. 
or something like that. Well, that seems to make a lot of sense to me, especially if they were sort of blatantly funding terrorist organizations and involved in that sort of thing. So it's like, why wouldn't they sort of, uh, even if they weren't directly involved, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if actually they were. Who knows? Yeah. Mm. Okay, so I would like to put more money, more problems. Okay. <laughs> Great. Up on the board because it wasn't until I mean Libya. I don't really know what they were up to pre finding all this oil, but it seems like that's when stuff got. I mean, I'm sure it was great in some ways to have this sort of you know like these riches come to them, but it sounds like that's also when all this turmoil happened, and it's at the stage for this. Yeah, when when they found the oil, it was an opportunity for people to make money off of, and, and there, you know, clearly there was a coup, at, which is what put um, Al Qaddafi um, in power. So it was all of a sudden, instead of you know, you you would like to think it's like, oh, okay, we're we're not a wealthy nation, we're we're a poor nation. Uh, but all, all of a sudden, we've discovered all this money. Like, wow, let's all share it and like let's improve our our country. I don't think that was the case, you know. Right, 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 right. People saw an opportunity to get rich and they took it. It's like the yeah, little, they, little bighorn that we talked about, where we gave up all that land and then we're like, oh, wait a minute, there's gold there. We're coming back. Yeah, it's ours again. Yeah, more money, more problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More money, more problems. <laughs> Just like the song. Yeah. There's a rap. Did you guys know that there's a rap song called Mo Money? <laughs> no, I've yeah. never heard of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I Is- believe it's Puff Daddy. Mm. We we won't play it on the podcast because we don't have the rights, but people can uh, look it up. <laughs> maybe there's some sort of royalty free sure. version of it out there. A karaoke I'd love version. To hear the royalty free or- version. Yeah, that would be great. It's uh, probably being played on Love is Blind right now mm. uh, in the new season <laughs> of Love is Blind. I'm upset. Uh, this is a tangent, but I'm obsessed with all the royalty-free music they use on that show. Yes. How is that a tangent? That is, su- that is super oh, okay. related because to Because we're talking topic. about Love is Blind on an episode about the Pan Am Flight 103 no, bombing. I was being sarcastic. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely <laughs> include that in the show description. On this episode of yes, The Alarmist, Rebecca finds who's to blame for the bombing of Pan Am Flight 103. Also, the royalty-free music on Love is Blind. That's what, that's what will get that extra listener who is hesitant. They're like, yeah. oh, Love is Blind, I'm in. <laughs> so, we cast a wide net, yeah. and that's why the show is so popular. That's right. Some, a little we something cover for it everyone. all. Um, is there anything Pop else? culture, history. <laughs> Any other pop culture references we could put up on the board? For, well, for I would. I don't think it would hurt to to put up sanctions because I know we have oh, the yeah. U.S. terrorism of Libya, and mm-hmm. yeah, that is definitely at play. But at the same time, when you think about it, when it really does all come down to money, typically mm-hmm. in these situations, I think me perhaps the sh- sanctions even more than the loss of civilian lives and the stepdaughter might have been an instigation mm-hmm. for this mm-hmm. money money is always it's such a it's such a killer it's such a murderer you know what would be really scary is if you woke up in the middle of the night and there was money floating on top of your bed oh my god my night my worst nightmare <laughs> just like a tornado of cash and hundred dollar bills <laughs> no like i'm in one of those cash tanks you know that they have yes. on game yes. shows that's uh-huh. like my version of being buried alive <laughs> Let me out of here. <laughs> it's just if if you see money like that, just run because it no, never it ends is well. True. Oh, you're saying it is true. Yeah. Well, but they, that's what they say. If you make over a hundred two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, like uh, they did a study that like your happiness actually does not increase. But I think that was like twenty years ago. So they need to adjust that for inflation and living right. in Los Angeles. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, maybe it's more like seven fifty. Right. That's how, how much we'll be happy. That's the same for the lotto too. They say that people win the lotto and you think you're going to be happy, but then everyone starts coming out of the woodwork for mm-hmm. your cash. I, I, mm-hmm. I personally like to challenge. Like I think I, if I won the lotto, I'd be like, we'll see. I think I'd be okay. <laughs> Chris and yeah, Rebecca I, and I have gone in together on the Powerball. That's at 
currently 800 million. So we might be sharing a jackpot and then we'll test that theory, Chris. Okay. On air. Okay. You I can, Clayton, and you trust these two to actually honor a three-way split. Well, you guys, I hold the ticket. Gonna, what's going to take the ticket. down the alarmist? Clay- this, is, this is not a good idea, okay? If we learn nothing from this episode. Yeah. Clayton- I literally just said run from money and I bought a Powerball ticket. So well, I, I'm a complex individual. Yeah. Now it's on air. That's yeah, right. it's on air. We're we sharing it. It's split 50-50 just so everyone Mike knows. is going to be so I've, mad at you that I've you've always said agreed it- on air. <laughs> <laughs> if He's you're like, not quiet. a walking contradiction, then I don't trust you. I just don't oh, trust you. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's just because I, I'm, I guess I'm a walking contradiction and I have to trust myself. We need yes. to take a quick break and start knocking things off the board. Let's do it. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Okay, who's to blame for Pan Am Flight 103 bombing? Is it Abdel Basset Al Magrahi, the only convicted suspect? Malta Air, Malta Air Security, Heathrow Airport Security, lack security measures of the time, lack of alarmism, Iranian Palestinian conspiracy. Gaddafi's government, United States terrorism of Libya, Abu Aguila Mohammed Massoud, more money, more problems, or sanctions? This is a big This is tough. List. I mean, especially because this is literally what the FBI is working on. <laughs> they still haven't yeah. totally figured it out. I know. <laughs> no, but we're one step ahead. Yeah. We always right. are. Yeah, there's um, all kinds of so so socio political I know trigger points here. I I'm a little nervous about pointing the blame on anything or anyone. Well, right. I think we can start off by taking Malta Air off the list. 
Okay. Um, I think we can go ahead and wipe off Heathrow security and lack security measure, measures at the time. Like, I just think it's that's revisionist history to have mm-hmm. those expectations. I see. It's like blaming the little guy. But I yeah. mean, again, they they should have screened security. If they were charging, I go right. back to the $5 they were charging and weren't doing any extra security. But this plot was like already in play, right? Like they were would have been something along the line to maybe stop it from coming to fruition. But they're not the core. Yeah, they're not they, kicking yes, off this. Yes, that's a good point. That's bombing. a good point. They, they didn't help stop it, but yes. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So we've got the the actually convicted suspect i mean it's hard it's not hard. to place blame on the people who admitted it but i guess is that do we go deeper than that you know it's so obvious you guys <laughs> please <laughs> what no, am i saying so it's so it's so obvious to blame like maybe we wanted to go for something a little more left of center um <laughs> but i i do think we can't ignore and and to me it's actually the three men who were involved, even though only the one was convicted, I feel like they could possibly, because I'm just like, I'm just smelling bullshit here. Like those three were up to no good. I don't know Mm. who put them up to it. It was obviously bigger than them, but I do think they were involved. And I would propose lumping the three of them together um, as candidates either to go to jail or for the big slap, perhaps. Mm. So Abdel, Gaddafi, and Abu all in one camp. I would, but Rebecca, what do you think? Yes, I think we can put them all together. Um, it, it's just hard because uh, was it was it ordered by Gaddafi? Was it were they individual cells that were doing this? I don't know. Was it Libya at all? Was it the Libyan government at all, or were it, were they just a scapegoat? Um, was it the Iranian uh, Palestinian? conflict you know did the iranian government have something to do with it i this is hard because it's like there's no actual answers guys what i just i I just think we should take a step back this might be a little too serious for this podcast Mm -hmm. but i do think that this this bombing happened in 1988 Mm -hmm. there are still Mm -hmm. um you know, victims' families, and there are people who are still living with this mm-hmm. tragedy. And yeah. that happens sometimes on this podcast. Yeah. Um, and I think given the fact that there just aren't the facts here, um, we need to be uh, uh, very conscientious of who we put in the, in, in the jail, if we put anybody in the jail. Mm-hmm. And it could be one of these things where, I mean, for the first time ever, we have a, um, unsolved. an unsolved mystery. Oh, wow. Mm. Interesting. And this is, you know, that's kind of hard to hear. Like we did send someone to jail for like Roanoke and. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, and no, for JFK. <laughs> Just full no, of conspiracy. I take I take your point, Chris, and and I actually there are just so many question marks here yeah. that I think maybe an option. Rebecca, tell me what you think about this is to just clear out a cell, have it ready. Uh-huh. But maybe today we just throw some slaps around. Mm. Yeah. I, Based I don't on our know. Morals. We could, this could be like a morals thing. Like we don't know for sure, but there, here's some bad actors that we want to give a slap to. Yeah. And I, something that's coming to the forefront of my mind is uh, a lack of uh, compassion mm. toward the victims or, you know, um, a lack of respect for human life, you know, where you think yeah. that your any cause is more important than, you know, these innocent victims. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's sort of terrorism. That's, that's terrorism writ large, right? right? right. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like men playing God too, in a way, you know, these like leaders in these positions of power who just are like making these decisions and they don't really have any comprehension of the people on the ground who are actually living their decisions. So why don't we put terrorism up on the board and send that to jail? You're not going to get a, uh, <laughs> you're not going to get a, uh, I'm not going to stop. you. I that. mean, all around terrorism. Just yeah. Because this is happening from uh, so, uh, both 
all, all like many of the the countries involved are going back and forth and and causing this kind of terrorism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is. Oh, I mean, now we're talking about war as well, right? So, mm-hmm. but I, yeah. specifically, what do you think, Clay? I was just saying, I I'd like the idea of terrorism being kind of like the placeholder jail, uh, new jail member. And then we give out some, I think it's like there's a couple of slaps here and we can always, yeah. re, you know, if this continues to unfold and there's new details, it's something you could revisit. Right. And hopefully our guest expert will shed even more mm-hmm. light. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So who do we want to slap here? I mean, I'm. I want to slap the United States terrorism of Libya. That's what I. Oh. I mean, it's and... like you're not. You're, yeah. bring, you're asking for it if you're bomb, and they you bombed them c- civilians, right? That's not good. But uh, th- this is hard. <laughs> this is really hard because I mean, I I think my instinct is to slap the uh, the three suspects that sure, were potentially sure. involved in actually going about with the bombing. Who, Right. Well, in the one case, he was found guilty by a court of law. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm down with that because I took Clay's point and I understand wanting to send that to jail. I mean, slap the um, American terrorism, but that's being kind of swept up in our big, broad terrorism being sent to jail. Mm. If that's any consolation. Sure, sure. Right, right. Okay. So I guess for now, this is what we've got and uh, we might as well call it, right? I do want to say more money, more problems. You're getting away. You're getting away this time. Mm-hmm. But we will, we will come out to get you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you guys win that Powerball, <laughs> we'll revisit. That'll be the ultimate test if more money is actually okay. more does you know equal. Yeah, if yes. our friendship falls apart, then it's true. <laughs> Who's to blame for the downfall of? The alarmist. The Powerball. Um, So I'm going to call it the three suspects, Al-Magrahi, FEMA, and Masood. You're getting the big slap. Terrorism. You're going to the alarmist jail. And I can't say that one's a... Doesn't feel totally satisfying, you know? Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Because there's still, again, so many questions. But I do feel like terrorism does deserve to go to jail. We didn't get that wrong. No. But I don't know that we got it right. So mm-hmm. we'll just put a pin in it. Yeah. And Amanda, I got to say thank you because we couldn't have gotten even here. Even even to no conclusion, mm-hmm. we needed you. Mm. To get this I was close. pivotal. <laughs> you were key. I was pivotal. You were key. You guys component. never even would have made it to 30 minutes with no. any other guest. True. You would have thrown in no. the towel. No, 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 you no, quit no. the show right then and there. Um, thank you so much for having me. It's thanks. so good to be back. Oh, we, we, we love you and we'll, uh, we'll keep bringing you back as much as possible. In 2003, Libby accepted responsibility for the bombing. As a result, the UN and US lifted sanctions against Libya. Libya agreed to pay each victim's family approximately $8 million in restitution. Pan Am Airlines, which had gone bankrupt three years after the bombing, sued Libya and later received a $30 million settlement. Visit our website and let us know who you think is to blame at www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at The Alarmist Podcast and on Twitter at Alarmist The. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early with fact-checking by Chris Smith and editing by Maria Blasucci. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Alex Paul. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith and the Erios Network. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing the Kitty Genovese murder.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 